And so he here's this six, three used to be bodybuilder, white guy um, teaching this class called physical activity and national security. And on the first day of class, he asked the class, mind you, it was 12 of us. Um, I was the only female. I was the only black female. And then there was a black male, a mixed male. They were my friends. And then the rest were white males. And the first day of class, he goes, um, does anybody in here want to go back in time and be black? And nobody raised their hand. And I just laughed. And I said, what is this man doing? Why is he asking this one in this class two at the Citadel? He don't want his job. And when nobody answered, he said, so you understand the crisis that happens in this country, but you're not willing to do anything about it. Needless to say, the second class, four people had dropped the class. Um, and the second class, he talked about the social determinants of health, that it was not nature and it was not nurture, nature versus nurture. It was both put together. This is the Public Health Millennial Career Stories podcast, where you'll hear about diverse career stories, career strategies, get tips, and learn from others to help you in your public health career journey. If you want to learn about public health, public health careers, or just hear public health stories, stay tuned because you won't want to miss this. Welcome to the Public Health Millennial Career Stories podcast, episode number 109. Hi everyone, Omari Richens here. Thank you all so much for joining me. Be sure to subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube or subscribe on any podcast platform that you listen to this to. Leave a five-star review and share with a friend. Greatly, greatly appreciate that. You can check me out on Instagram at the Millennial, And you can also follow my LinkedIn page, the Public Health Millennial, to get more content there on your LinkedIn profile, on your LinkedIn feed. I really enjoyed today's episode. Great, great guests. I'm really trying to aim to get a lot more younger people who are in public health, not as long as other people, because I think them speaking about the experiences of getting careers and getting into public health now and during the pandemic, which has continued to go on, is very insightful for all of us to learn and see how we can incorporate different learnings that they have shared into our own careers and our professional development. I really, really enjoyed how this guest today shared that even though she got into the CDC, the role that she's in right now is a lot better fit. And if she was able to get a career coach earlier on in her career, she might have seen that the CDC wasn't the ideal pathway for her to get into what she wanted to do, which I think is a key insight a lot of us don't think about. So just think about that. Um, but enjoy today's episode. It's a great one. one. Today, we have a public health advocate dedicated to improving health and racial equity through community engagement, multi-sector partnerships, and research. She got her Bachelor's of Science in Health and Human Performance Exercise Science at the Citadel, while also being a NCAA D1 athlete. She then went on to get her Master of Public Health at Georgia State University. She currently works as a program coordinator at the Center for Black Health and Equity. We have Assyria Daniels, MPH. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure that we can connect and I'm uh, looking forward to hearing more about your story and, and everything that you have to share. Um, I, hey, I'm ready. I'm so <laughs> excited. You've had some um, co-workers and one of my mentors um, on your show. So I'm just, I'm happy to be following in their footsteps. 
No, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that you've you've had uh, experiences with people that I've had on the show, and uh, I'm glad that we now get to showcase your story and hear about your public health insights. That's awesome. Um, so, how how are you doing, and how have you been coping during these times? Um, I'm good. I think coping wise, I am right outside of Atlanta, and so. I make sure to take soul care days, what I call soul care. Everybody calls it self-care, whatever you want to call it. Um, But making sure I'm taking care of the in-house thing. So what do I like to do? Where do I like to go? How do I like to spend my time? Um, So coping has been good. I moved into a new role, which we'll go into. Um, And so that role is remote. So that has been Kiss chef, that's been good for the soul. Good for the soul. I'm learning a lot, but I'm also learning a lot about myself being in this new role and not being in an environment where I get to see somebody every day. So it's really put the pressure on me to make soul care um, a priority. Okay, that, that is awesome. And, and I love that you're able to, to be remote in your role. And I think it's important that you're not only learning, but learning how to to work in this like remote environment yeah. and make those connections because it's, it's a lot different from being in an office seeing people all the time getting those like informal connections especially in a new role I know I, I had to battle that like challenge of being mm-hmm. in, in the pandemic and then getting in a new role being remote and then making those actual connections to people uh, it's a lot but that's awesome and I look forward to hearing more about that and how you are going about uh, getting those types of experiences and different things in your rooms. I mean, we'll get to that. So tell me, how do you identify and tell me, tell us a little bit about your personal background? Yeah, so I pronouns are she and her. Um, I identify very, um, it's going to be kind of long, but I'm a Black woman. Um, I claim Okinawa, Japan as my second home. Um, and I am just your regular smegular girl down the street with big aspirations and a great personality, not to toot my own horn. (laughs) Um, So that's how I would identify Um, just a little background about me. I grew up in a military town, military family. Both parents were active duty army, go army. Um, And so that's where that Japan, living in Japan background comes from. Um, And I went to the Citadel, as you mentioned, which is a military college. When I was there, um, one of the things I used to like to tell people who didn't know about the Citadel was it's a great place to be from, not necessarily at. It has changed over the years, thank God. Um, But the Citadel is the Citadel. And honey, that's another interview for another day. Um, So just my time there is actually what got me into public health. I had a great mentor, Dr. Borenstein, um, who saw me in class my freshman year and told me I would do public health. And I thought he was crazy. Fast forward now, he is literally the reason why I'm in public health. Um, So after undergrad, I actually came up to Atlanta on a prayer that I would get into Georgia State for public health. Um, because I had originally was going to do occupational therapy. That's where that exercise science came from. You know, every athlete wants to do PT or OT. Um, and so I came to Atlanta with a, with a prayer, just on a prayer that I would get in. And I did some nonprofit work. Um, I did some work at Enterprise because I wasn't going to be super broke up here. It's Atlanta. 
Um, but I got in and then graduated in 2021. Um, I've had a great surrounding extended family up here who has helped me on my journey that will get into some jobs that I've had um, while I'm here. And then now um, my most exciting part of my journey is I am a program coordinator for the Center for Black Health and Equity. Yes, yes, my dream job. So that is just a little bit of background about me. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. I look forward to, to getting more into that. I'm glad that you're in a role that you really see yourself. And as you said, like, it's a, it's a dream come true. And before we get into the interview, like, just asking the question, playing it out, did you know that this role was something that you knew in undergrad or during your MPH? No. Okay. Oh, my goodness. No. Um, long story short, I thought I would be like my mom, who is my best friend, my role model. I would work for the government. Remember, we're military. She got out military, went to go work for Wounded Warriors um, as a nurse case manager. And she still does that to this day. And so I thought, I'm going to get into the GS system. I'm going to get these benefits. And I'm going to be my mom. And when I got there, it was just like when God spoke to me in undergrad, think bigger, think something else. This is not what I have planned for you. So definitely this uh, this position really came out of nowhere in great timing. So I never saw myself even being able to work for a company that is the reason why I got into public health, because I got into public health for God and for the culture. And so I literally get to do both um, on a day to day basis, which is great. Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. And I appreciate that. And I just asked that question to say, like, a lot of people out here think that you need to know what that end job is going to be. But I think like focusing on your building your skills and Mm -hmm. understanding where you fit into different things, then that job will appear and you'll find it and you'll feel like, wow, (laughs) I'm glad that I I found this space to really work in. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be it'll be sad if I didn't ask also, what was just talk a little bit about your experience in Japan, being a black person in Japan. I, I don't know what age, what age you grew up there. Yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, I was there eighth grade, ninth grade. I actually, we had to move back. I was diagnosed with lupus at 15. So I am a lupus warrior um, for everybody that's out there. Um, but that time was great. I did not live on mainland Japan. Um, we lived in Okinawa, which is one of the Ryukyu Islands, and we call that the Hawaii of Asia. Like, it don't get less than 70 degrees. Um, the people are great and friendly. Um, we did not stay on base, so I had the experience of living out in town in Kadena Cho. So my neighbors were Okinawan. Um, so basketball games, I was down the street with the locals, the grocery store, the bread man. Um, I have really good friends that live off base with me as well that were of mixed family. So one of my good friends, Nina, Black and Okinawan, just showing me um, the culture, eating ramen in the morning, noon and night. Y'all may think it sounds crazy because ramen here is in that packet, but real ramen, <laughs> you can eat it all day, every day. But the people are great. Um, the people are loving. Okinawa is just a whole nother vibe. Like you go to you go to mainland, you get Japan. But when you're in Okinawa, it does not compare to anything else. I tell people all the time, you have to visit Okinawa once in your life. Hands down, that's home. I'm going to stand beside them every, every day, every step of the way. 
Awesome, awesome. You, you sold it to me. Um, I'm definitely going to put that <laughs> higher on my list uh, when I when I do make it out to, to the Asian countries. Definitely, Okinawa is going to be high up on the list now. So I uh, appreciate that, and I, I can just imagine being in that environment and what that experience has done for you, your life, and I, I feel like always bringing it back to like public health and understanding yep. what that community and and other things because you really get to reflect on a lot of issues and things that you might not have thought about being somewhere that's not your traditional home. So that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Um, and I'm sorry about the lupus. And No, you're fine. Look, 15, I'm 26. I was still able to be a D1 athlete. I'm not saying that some days aren't hard, um, but I don't look like what I have. So that's all I can ask for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. all I can ask for. I've been so blessed. Um, in spite of so yeah okay awesome awesome all right bro before we get more into your your, your collegiate story and your, your career of public health tell us what does public health mean to you oh man public health means um the greater good that's what it means to me making sure um that people the greater good regardless your age your sex your identity however you want the world to see you. It means that I am doing my best to make sure that your living um, conditions, your health, your mental health, your environment of every aspect of what environment can be is, is running at its optimum pace. That's what it means to me. Um, so yeah. 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 I, I really, really, really love that. And um, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Okay. So you got your bachelor's of science in health and human performance exercise science at the Citadel. Uh, so what, what was the thought process going into that? I was an athlete. Um, the easiest thing for us to get into is what we know. I've been doing sports since I was six. And so you don't realize that, you know, most of um, exercise science as your athlete until you start to put it together. So I was like, what's the easiest thing I can do? <laughs> That's it. We can be exercise science. Um, and then the other part of it was, again, I mentioned my mom is a nurse. My dad is an entrepreneur, but has always been my coach. And so I knew I wanted to be somewhat kind of like the mesh of both of them. And so I actually, in my head going into school was I was going to do physical therapy or occupational therapy, something within the health realm that I could still, you know, work with athletes like my dad did as a coach. And then again, in that health realm, like my mom. Okay. okay that, that's awesome. And I guess that does make sense to say, okay, I'm an athlete. These things align. I know about the exercise part. Let's just learn more about it in a full yep. sense. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And, and did you get into school as a D1 athlete or what was that process like for you? Yeah. And what, what, what athlete were you? What, what were you a D1 athlete for? Yeah. So I, the Citadel, if you know anything about the history of the Citadel, doesn't have a huge population of um, women, let alone Black women. Um, but I was actually playing club soccer at the time. I played on two teams, one in South Carolina, one in Georgia and the coach came to see me um, and he was just like, I, I am at the Citadel, would love for you to come and take a visit. Long story short, my teammate, because I had lupus and it's a military college, I had to get medical clearance. My teammate actually ended up 
taking the last spot um, for the soccer team. But the coach at the time, great, love him. He saw my speed on the on the field. He saw that I was outrunning everybody. I was dusting girls. And he was just like, do you do track and field? And I was like, I would take track and field practice over a soccer game any day. <laughs> track and field was my love. Soccer was kind of like the mistress. I was good at both. You throw some basketball in there, you know. And so he actually reached out to the track coach and said, hey, I was looking at her for soccer, but I think you should look at her for track. They did. And then they offered me a scholarship. So I was on scholarship at the Citadel all four years um, for track and field. I was not a runner. Let me put that out there. I don't run. I was a jumper. I did long jump and triple jump. That means I ran 10 steps down the runway and jumped in some sand. It is possible you can get tuition paid for, for just that. And so that's what I did. I was a jumper. Okay. Okay. That is awesome. But I, I didn't expect to hear that because that's not something you typically hear. Yeah. Um, but, but also awesome. Like, I guess the point of like being active, doing this, wanting to maybe like, do, do sports throughout your, your collegiate career. And unfortunately it didn't happen to be soccer. Um, but, but at least thankfully you had the coach who was like, Hey, she looks like She's really fast. And it's interesting to say that you're fast, but he, that he didn't run. <laughs> Listen, track and field, if, if you know anything about track and field, you can be fast. But when you get up on that line, it wasn't me. Okay. It, it wasn't. I was I was fast on the field, on, on, on the track. Yeah, I was average. And my coach knew that. So we stuck to jumps. So we stuck to jumps. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, that's dope that you were able to get that scholarship and get, get the tuition paid for four, four years. And yeah, that, that does go to show that, you know, just put yourself out there. You never know, like, yeah. what would get you those opportunities to have that, both the experience and the opportunity to get the scholarship, which is dope. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I have here that you were a captain of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So tell me a little bit about that experience or that being the captain. Yeah, so we had Fellowship of Christian Athletes on our campus. Um, It is a Christian organization, usually mainly for athletes on the campus, um, but we had some non-athletes come with us. So every Monday, we would have essentially a Bible study during lunch during that time. Um, our fearless leader, Frosty, who is still my mentor to this day, he would get us lunch, Chick-fil-A or cold sandwiches, whichever one we had the money for. But um, and he would teach or preach or have somebody come in to speak to us about various topics. Um, the cool thing about the Citadel is that we all came from different walks of life. And you kind of look at people and go, oh, my gosh, you went to the Citadel like you chose to go there all four years. And just being able to have that time once a week on a Monday to get our week started um, was just a fresh, a breath of fresh air. Um, When you are at the Citadel, there is a whole different mindset of um, being a student and then being a student athlete and then being a minority student athlete. Um, and I was a woman, I am black and I was an athlete when I was there, it was 97% white male. So it was definitely different. And so my time with, um, fellowship of Christian athletes was just, just being the captain was making sure that I first helped Frosty run anything. 
Um, second, make sure that the women that were a part of the group, a part of our huddle, essentially, we knew that we were there for each other. Um, and we could do small groups or prayer groups or letting them know that even if their company, because you're divided in companies, even if your company didn't support that you were an athlete, we supported that you were an athlete. And then also making sure knobs, which are freshmen, but we call them knobs there, that they had a place to feel safe, to get advice and to grow throughout their freshman year so we could set them up for the years to come while they were a cadet there. Okay, that, that, that is awesome. And, and I think it highlights both, like you're talking about the intersectionalities of who you are, Black woman in this military uh, university um, and how that experience is, how, how you experience that in that kind of environment, which I think is probably very unique, as you said, mostly uh, white males, I, I think it was. And then as yeah. well as... <laughs> As well as I think it's important to highlight that this is a leadership role that you were able to get that a lot of people mightn't even like think about it in that sense. But this is skills that you have you probably have continued to take on yeah. and continue to grow that leadership ability, um, which I think is also important, especially in undergrad when a lot of us don't have those kind of opportunities or, or don't. We don't put ourselves out there enough to have that those opportunities. Yeah. And, I, and I think the, the last thing that you highlighted was just the importance of like how this community was, especially how important this community was for yourself as, and also for the knobs that are coming into, into the schooling, uh, which is awesome. Okay, so I appreciate that. Okay, and then a little bit earlier, you said that a lot of people who are athletes going into exercise science want to either be PTs or OTs. So you you became an occupational therapy intern at the Wounded Warrior Transition mm-hmm. bat- Battalion. Um, firstly, a lot of people know what a physical therapist is, but they don't know what an occupational therapist is. Can you just give us like a, a little brief understanding of what an occupational therapist is? What does? Yeah, it it is um, a person who you think PT, you think legs, you think um, sports injury. OT is more of your upper body. So like your, your arms, your hands, who I worked with. Um, we did a lot of patients that had strokes or TBIs. So teaching them to have um, motion in their arm after a stroke or one patient I had crushed his hand. So teaching him how to just hold a pencil again, it's the fine motor skills and basically upper body. Um, and so that's pretty much the difference. I know there's more, but that's going to be our summary for today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely fine. And, and then t- tell me a little bit more about what you did as an uh, occupational therapy intern. Yeah. So again, I was at the Wounded Warrior um, Transition Battalion. I think they've actually renamed it. But when I was there, it was a, it was a transition battalion, meaning that soldiers who... Um, were transitioning out of active duty into civilian world. And if they had an injury or anything like that, we were helping them cope with that injury and then showing them how to live with that injury outside of military. And so one of the things that I did was I worked with um, Miss Myers. She had patients that, you know, maybe um, was paralyzed from the waist down. And so we would go in and help um, soldiers to learn how to dress again and to be to do that on their own, not necessarily needing their wife or their husband to do that. 
Um, other parts of it, you know, public health is all encompassing. So mental health, making sure that um, soldiers who did have PTSD, how can we help them cope for that? Um, again, I lived in a military town. And so I did this during the summer, which was um, during 4th of July. So one, making sure that they are able to cope with activities of 4th of July, but two, also educating our public, because although we're a military town, not everybody understands or knows um, the military as much as we do, educating them to have them know and understand that fireworks are great, but they're not great when somebody <laughs> has just come back from Iraq and has PTSD. What? How can we celebrate and come to a compromise. Um, and so a lot of my work was um, just helping soldiers transition into the next phase, next stage of their life, instead of being active duty. Okay, that, that's awesome. And yeah, that in itself is not something that people generally think about. Okay, there's a community right here that, that are suffering with PTSD from being in places where they're very loud noises and, and bombs and things and we're doing these fireworks how can we approach that community and like inform them of how can we do this this celebration in a different way that isn't yeah. so traumatic to other people who live in the same community which I think is, is also something that's awesome and not thought about enough maybe um maybe it is I'm, I'm not too sure <laughs> it, it's not it's not you were right <laughs> it's not it's okay. not okay that's awesome. And then you're also a student intern at the Citadel Strength and Conditioning. So tell me yeah. a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's kind of cool working with um, the strength team. None of who I worked with is there, but Coach D, Coach Mike, and um, Jack, they're like my big brothers now. But I got to work with them. So they were actually my strength coach. And then I would, um, at 5 a.m., go help them with either the football team, our women's golf team, or our men's tennis team. Um, and that was pretty cool because as track and field, um, we have different weight training compared to everybody else. Um, and a lot of our weight training kind of mimicked the football's team. And so that was kind of cool to see other sports and how they define strength, agility, and so I got to work with those three teams. I got to um, do a 12-week workout program that Coach D, um, the head coach at the time, literally shred to pieces, but it made me better. Um, so that, that was good. And then I got to interact with teams that I normally didn't get to interact with. Um, our tennis team is phenomenal. Uh, but we never got to interact with them because their locker room is literally by the tennis courts, which is away from all the other locker rooms. So getting to know our tennis team, which had a lot of um, foreign students on it and knowing their background and seeing their perspective of what the Citadel was like for them was great. And so being, being able to have that internship not only helped me hone into my skills of being a coach and doing strength and conditioning, and being able to learn um, on a different level exercise science, um, but it also connected me with my fellow classmates and and fellow, I guess, sport mates that I never would have even thought to talk to um, in passing. 
Yeah, yeah, and and I appreciate that because even like in the in the D one athletes or athletes in general at schools, they have their own communities that might not overlap. And as you said, like they're just different trainings along with with what different people do. And um, I think that's important. And I think one thing that you also said was kind of important that might might be something that you've thought about or reflected on was that Coach D was it? Yeah. Yeah, him him criticizing your twelve week uh, plan that you made, and you being able to take that hard feedback and like later, yeah, that, I think that's a skill that a lot of us are not able to to take from. So I'm thinking that maybe in a less academic sense was helpful for then, and then probably has played out into the academic way of you taking uh, academic work wise, professional wise, taking like critical feedback and growing from it, and not most like, definitely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> most definitely. Awesome, awesome. And I, you also said that you used to get up at 5 a.m. I wanted to know if that was also, if that currently is part of your, your soul care or habit routine or not yeah. so much. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, I am a habit and routine person. So a lot of what I learned at the Citadel has not left. Um, so I still wake up at five, but not to listen to Nuck If You Buck and get the football team hype. I actually put on some gospel music and I pray. Um, and then that's kind of how I start my day with the soul care, prayer, reading um, the Bible or book that I'm reading, um, journaling. And then I go into my routine of whatever that workout is going to look like. And then I start my day like that. So, yeah, I, I still wake up. I hate it. I hated it then. I still hate it now. But um it is, it is such life. I'm waiting for it to not be life anymore. I'm waiting for when I can just not wake up at 5 a.m. and be okay and not feel guilty about it. Because I can wake up late, but I'm going to feel guilty. So, yeah, I still do that. Fair, fair, fair enough. But I, I like, I like that, that thought and the idea of having like a habitual habit of waking up at a certain time or maybe even a certain range. Like for me, I wake up most of the time between 5 and 6 a.m., um, as of late, I've been doing pretty bad, <laughs> but, 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 but I think that's life, right? But, but I, think, I think it's important because I think habits are the way that we're able to like really build and, and, yeah. and create and create that consistency for ourselves. Cause a lot of things in, in life, whether that's academic or not, it's not about if you're feeling to do it all the time, but it's yeah. just about it's showing the discipline. up consistently. Yep. Yeah. It's yep. the discipline. Yep, that, that, that's a, a lot of what life is. So I think that just in general is, is probably pretty helpful to you as well. Um, okay, you also mentioned that you had a professor, Dr. Bornstein. Yep. Was that was that in at the Citadel? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so tell me more about that because I, I want to say he's the one who said that you are going to be in public health and you're yes. <laughs> freshman yes. year. Okay, tell, tell me more about that. Oh, man. I love talking about Dr. Bornstein. Um, I think everybody should have a Dr. Bornstein in their life. Dr. Bornstein was my teacher first, my freshman year. I slept in his class. Um, and he had so much grace and mercy for me because I would be knocked out as a knob in his class. Um, but he saw something in me. He saw leadership, um, just the command I could have in the room and not even trying to force it, just being myself. Um, and so sophomore year, he was like, hey, you know, CC, I'm going to have this class. It's, it's going to be um, physical activity and national security. And I was like, that sounds crazy, sir. 
like <laughs> ridiculous. Um, and he was like, yeah, it's going to be under, you know, public health. And in my head at the time, sophomore year, public health was what my family friend did was go around and search restaurants for rats and rodents. That's what public health was. And so um, I said, OK, well, I'll take the class. Fine, I'll do it for you. I owe you because you definitely didn't fail me. You had grace and mercy. I'll have grace and mercy. Um, Dr. Bornstein was not a native of the South, um, originally from the North, then he was out in Arizona, then came to South Carolina. And so he was definitely, if you know anything about the Citadel, we are not liberal people in a whole as a Citadel. And so he, here's this 6'3", used to be bodybuilder white guy, um, teaching this class called Physical Activity and National Security. And on the first day of class, he asked the class, mind you, it was 12 of us. Um, I was the only female. I was the only Black female. And then there was a Black male, a mixed male. They were my friends. And then the rest were white males. And the first day of class, he goes, um, does anybody in here want to go back in time and be Black? And nobody raised their hand. And I just laughed. And I said, what is this man doing? Why is he asking this one in this class, two at the Citadel? He don't want his job. And when nobody answered, he said, so you understand the crisis that happens in this country, but you're not willing to do anything about it. Needless to say, the second class, four people had dropped the class. Um, and the second class, he talked about the social determinants of health that it was not nature and it was not nurture, nature versus nurture. It was both put together. Every aspect of our lives comes together in this combination to create who we are. And um, he would just teach the class. And although it was about physical activity and national security, so things like being obese, having diabetes, and how that affects our national security if we were going to go into war, the foundation of public health was laid in that class. And so once that class was over for the semester, um, we had a project, we did good on the project. He would, in the hallway, call me counselor. And the first time he called me counselor, I turned around in a hallway full of people. We were changing classes. And when I turned around, he said, Assyria, you already know what you need to do. You answered to a name that no one has ever called you because you know who you're supposed to be. And from then on out, I thought the man was crazy. Sir, I'm going to be an OT. I'm going to have my own clinic, my own practice. Um, and it's still going to be black owned and it's going to be for black people. But I want to just be in one place and be able to affect change in community that way. Um, throughout my years there, he would always tease me. Have you looked at public health? Have you looked at Howard and done this? You can do law. You can do public health law. His big thing was public health law for me. Um, because I would argue with teachers and other cadets and get other cadets out of, out of trouble. Um, but it wasn't until my senior year, two weeks before I was about to graduate, I was leaving the locker room and something said to think bigger. And the guy I was dating at the time was like, Assyria, I understand that you want to do occupational health um, therapy, but you really do need to think bigger. Like take what you've done on this Citadel campus and put it into health. And all these years, Dr. Bornstein has been saying public health, public health. The next day I ran to his office 
And those last two weeks, we were in contact every day. He sent me schools. He sent me degrees. He sent me um, people that he knew. And so when we sat down, we sat down with a list of my top five schools I wanted to go to. And George um, Washington University in D.C. was my top one. And he was like, "Okay, well, this is what we need to do. This is what you need to do this summer. The to apply has already closed, but this is what we're like. He laid out a game plan for me. Um, And so he was just very instrumental because even though I kept saying no. I was like, I'm not doing that your health promotion, I'm not going to be nobody's health promoter or try to be coach because I'm not going to motivate people if they don't want to be motivated. Um, and he just kept telling me, like, there's just something different. You don't have to do that. You can do law, you can do policy, but you need to be in public health because what what was happening on campus could be what I could put into the world. And so he believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And so every time somebody says, why are you in public health? I'd be like, Dr. B, hands down, because he was almost annoying to the point of, okay, public health. Have you looked at public health yet? You know, they're starting to, you know, do public health. It's open now. You can start applying to schools. Have you taken your GRE for public health? Like, sir, if you don't leave me alone, but I'm glad he did. Because when Think Bigger was dropped into my spirit, that was the only thing that was bigger that was preventative, that was bigger, that I could mesh everything that I have been through on campus and what I wanted to do in the world and put it all together. Okay, that, that, that was beautiful. I'm glad that I remembered to ask that question. And <laughs> <laughs> shout out to, to uh, Professor B, Dr. B. Um, that, that's awesome that he was there throughout your entire four years, just pushing that not only public health, public health. And I, and I think like, as you said that, Everyone here should, everyone listening here should take time to just sit down and reflect and think what is something that you can do bigger if, if that mm-hmm. is something that you're trying to do, because there's a lot of work that can be done in public health. And sometimes we aren't able to see the greatness in ourselves. And to the point of having um, coach point scene, I, I've called him many things at this point in time. <laughs> Dr. B, he'll Dr. be all right. <laughs> Dr. B and uh, your, your ex-partner at the point in time telling you like to think big and to push and you ending up where you are and in public health and doing that kind of work and in a position that you that you said you feel very fulfilled in, which is awesome as well, which I look forward to chatting more with. Was there any other takeaways from undergrad that you wanted to share before we move on a little bit? Um, if you're in undergrad, let me just say this, you don't have to have it all figured out especially if you're thinking public health. Public health is a huge umbrella. Um, Public health is in everyday life from where we put sidewalks in a community all the way up to air and what you breathe. Like it is so much. So don't think that you have to have it all figured out because I thought I had it all figured out and public health came the last two weeks of graduation. So imagine me calling my mom and saying, I'm not going to OT school. I'm going to do public health, but I have to take a gap year. I'm just saying craziness and chaos happen, but you don't have to have it all together. Definitely go with what you're feeling and what your heart is leading you to. Absolutely. absolutely. I love that. I love that a lot. Okay. So you graduated from the Citadel, you're thinking public health, you have to take that gap year. 
So tell me about that. So you had to take a gap year. Was this yeah. the same gap year in which you said that you moved to Georgia and you're hoping to, to get into Georgia State or what yeah. happened afterwards? Okay, yeah. Tell, so tell me about I, that thought process. I came up to Atlanta. Um, I ended up getting an internship with this um, nonprofit company called Growing Leaders, which was cool. I was actually a, a operations intern, but I also doubled as a student athlete representative. So I got to do what's called the SEC tour, which two athletes from each school that's in the SEC come to Atlanta um, to look at big corporate jobs like UPS, um, Amazon, things of that nature. And it really teaches them that you can take what you've learned on the field, on the court and put that in corporate America. Cause when you are an athlete, you don't get to have that time to do internships. You're literally a student athlete. And in most cases, I'm not going to lie. You're really an athlete student. Your sport comes first. That's what's paying essentially the bills. And so I got to um, just talk to athletes and and really help them understand that what they did on the court, on the field, that could um, help them in corporate America. And so I did that. And I was also operations intern for them. So I did things like their books. And um, I worked with Trent, who was the operation manager, just making sure the company ran smoothly. But in that time, that's when I moved up here to Atlanta and then was applying to go to Georgia State. So I moved, I did Growing Leaders from, I graduated in May um, of 2018. I got to Growing Leaders in August of 2018, did that until December. Um, and I stayed with the host family. What's up, the stars? Um, I got to stay with them for those months. And then I officially moved to Atlanta 20, January of 2019, hoping and praying I got into Georgia State and then found out in March I got in. Okay, okay, that, that's awesome. And good congratulations to you for like, taking that leap of faith and, and being able to get experience while you're also waiting for that yeah. announcement and getting into Georgia State. That, that's dope as well. Uh, and I know you mentioned earlier that you were a management trainee at Enterprise and I, yeah. think, I think I also have that you were assistant coach at the at Oglethorpe University part time. So talk oh, about wow. those two you got it. Man, you, you did research, honey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So January, um, I started at Enterprise. My thought process behind that was I needed a job. Um, a teammate at the time was working at Enterprise. He was a manager, a branch manager. And so I always tell people it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Um, he put in the word for me and it happened like that. Um, Enterprise was a great job. It's definitely taught me about corporate America. One of um, the branches that I worked at, we were really heavy with corporate accounts. So I got to take cars to CEOs, to executive um executive boards and things of that nature. So just being able to take them cars enabled me to be in the room with conversations. Um, and so a lot of the clients that we had when I was enterprise, um, <laughs> I still talk to to this day. Um, and I equate that to just being good in, in my relationship building and management um, in public health. I learned that at enterprise. Although we were selling and renting cars, I had to have relationships with these people. I had to be able to have them trust me to go in and say, 
well, you know, you can get this car. I'm trying to upsell you, but you're going to trust me because we have a relationship. And the same thing goes with public health. You know, your relationships with the communities that you build and work in um, are so valuable because these people are leaning on you to be the expert, but you can't be an expert without relationship. So enterprise was definitely fun. It was great money. Um, it was a great time. My store was lit every day. Um, we were a black woman store. My branch manager was black. So it was great. It was, it was a fun time um, that I got to do that from January to about September or October. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. And I, and I like that you highlight the importance of, of like transferable skills of relationship yeah. building and how that's not only important in this sector, but it's important in public health and corporate and it's just transferable, which I think is, is very, very important. Um, and then talk a little bit about being an assistant coach at Oglethorpe. Yeah, I fellowship with Christian athletes. I was just moved up here to Atlanta officially in January. Um, again, it's not about who you know and who knows you. Um, I got a call, I believe it was Frosty, my FCA coach from undergrad, let me know that they FCA here in Atlanta for Georgia Tech was having a barbecue. Um, and so I needed to make friends. So I went out, um, talked to some folks, told them I had a background in, in track and field. And the coach, uh, FCA coach at Georgia Tech at the time um, was like, oh, you know, Oglethorpe University, don't know if you've ever heard of them. They need some help. They need a coach. I always said I wasn't going to be a coach. Um, and then I was coaching. I don't know what what transpired. It was it was a fun time, though. So I did a season with them um, as I was doing uh, growing leaders and then trans um, going into my master's degree. So it was fun. I coached long jump and triple jump, which was what I did in college. And then I teamed up with another volunteer, Katie, at the time. She was a student, had been a student at Oglethorpe, and we did sprints. So I did the 200 in blocks. She did the 100 relays, 400 and 800. So we teamed up. And um, for that season, we, we helped our athletes who, after I left, became like little brothers and sisters to me. So yeah. Awesome, awesome. We'll never say never. You became that coach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my mistake. I was like, I'm never. And then it was put in the atmosphere. She has to do it. So, awesome, yeah, I learned awesome. my lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you got your master's of public health at Georgia State University. Yep. What was the thought process or, or the want to for, for you to both get your master's of public health and at Georgia State University? Yeah. So like I mentioned, I wanted to go to um, uh, Washington to get my degree. That was my number one school. Um, but I have Washington money. Um, and so I had to think logically, you know, I was like, you know, I'm going to be paying for this degree. What where can I go to get that experience and get the expertise and still be able to get my degree. And the, the only place I could think of was Georgia State. I am from Georgia, just South Georgia. I'm from Hinesville, Georgia. Um, and so I knew I would get in-state tuition. And then I knew Georgia State was in downtown Georgia. And so when I was looking up the rankings of the school 
schools across the country and, and people's experiences. The one thing that stood out to me for Georgia State for their public health was a lot of their professors were researchers and a lot of the students um, were international students. So my biggest thing was being in a diverse population. Um, and so when I actually got to Georgia State, my first semester, I was in rooms with doctors, with lawyers from all different countries coming to learn about public health um, and just getting their point of view changed my mindset of public health like since then. So I knew I wanted the same experience to be in a downtown area, to be able to make great networking connections and to have that diverse population. And the only other place that, you know, I saw fit and not even only other place, the only place I think that can happen now is Georgia State, hands down, hands down. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad they highlighted the, the importance of that diverse pool of peers mm -hmm. and, and as well as just how important or like how pivotal that could be in the learning process, not just the importance of having different teachers, but having different peers that are coming from different backgrounds that can yeah. share share that that information and that like more informal and sometimes more formal ways of, of learning. Uh, do you have a concentration? Yeah, so I did health management and policy, um, but I lean more towards policy. <laughs> <laughs> and as, was there any reason for that? Uh, yeah, I, I learned very quickly at the Citadel that nothing happens unless it's in writing. Um, and at the time when I was in undergrad, there was, um, in coming out of undergrad, there was a lot of civil unrest here in the States, in the United States. Um, and we were speaking and looking for justice. And so I chose health management and policy because I knew that every part of the revolution is necessary. I don't downplay any part, whether it's riots, whether it's marching, whether it's speech. Um, but I, I saw at the Citadel that if it's not in writing, if you can't influence the pen in the paper, there's a less lesser chance that things can change. And so health management and policy um, was what I wanted to do because at first I wanted to do universal health care. That's why I really got into public health, health care for all. Um, and I knew the only way to do that, to even have a chance at that is influencing policy and getting that on paper. Absolutely, absolutely. Very, very eloquent um, decision and, and poignant <laughs> in, in how you said it. Um, and yeah, there's still a lot of work to do around universal healthcare. So yes, if that's if yes. that's the way you want to fit in, we appreciate you. We look forward to seeing more work <laughs> around that in the future. <laughs> okay. So during your time as an MPH student, you were a development intern at AIDS or Aid Atlanta. Aid sure. Atlanta. Yeah, okay. Aid Atlanta. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I was a development intern. Um, what that entailed was I helped them during the summer get ready for their aid walk, um, which was raising money for the aid um, foundation for Aid Atlanta to be able to give services free of charge um, to clients that they had coming into Aid Atlanta. Aid Atlanta is downtown Atlanta, it's like Midtown. Um, and so they give um, free STI treatments. Um, if you are diagnosed with AIDS, they help you throughout that process. Um, HIV, my, my apologies, diagnosed with um, HIV, they do help you throughout that process. And so 
while I wasn't directly in my public health aspect, I did get to see the background of how to raise money, um, networking, and then again, growing and building those relationships with different companies and organizations that were going to help us to increase our span within the community to help the community. That, that's awesome. That sounds like that great work. And I'm glad that you're able to do that. Um, you are also a graduate research assistant at Georgia State University. So tell us a little bit more about that as well. Yeah, I did the prison education project um, with Dr. Owen um, and the team. So if you know anything about Georgia State, there's different campuses. They were out of the um, Dunwoody campus, I believe, the premier um, perimeter location. But um, I joined them as their first ever public health uh, uh, GRA. And so that was fun because we got to figure it out together. So their main mission um, pre-pandemic was that they would go into the six prisons that they were connected with and teach classes, helping um, the inmates there to get a degree. And so then once they got out, they would have an associate degree or be working on a degree. They could take what the credits that they have wherever they're going, enroll somewhere, but also connect them to other um, organizations that we worked with um, once they got out as well. The cool thing about what I did there was I got to work on a project to really teach um, our students once they left prison or jail, what health insurance looked like, how to get it, where to get it, um, and things of that nature. We set up a guide for them. So I got to be a part of that. And then I also got to be a part of the mental health guide. So making sure that once they're out of this environment into a new environment, I think people think, oh, you're out of jail, you're so happy. And they are, um, but it's a whole new environment for them. And so making sure that they were able to prioritize mental health without having money, being able to prioritize mental health and do that on their own, but also know that we were there as a resource as well. So those were the two um, projects that I did with them. And then we got to partner with the juvenile justice system, um, doing some um, information for them and also partnering with other organizations like the NAACP and things of that nature um, to just spread awareness and making sure that people from different backgrounds um, had access to the knowledge of healthcare and what that looked like and what's the deductible and what's the copay and um, where can you find it and does it cost and what it costs, things of that nature, because we don't know, we don't know healthcare like we should, as a whole, we shouldn't. Um, and part to blame is our government, but part to blame is us because we should be able to, to know that. So we just wanted to make sure that they were coming out of their environment with the tools and the knowledge to do better and to be better. Okay, that, that's awesome. And this just goes back to you needing to get more into that universal healthcare world and doing yes. more <laughs> work to make it easier for everyone to understand because yes, health insurance is very, very complicated and very, very tricky. And yeah. I think knowing that base knowledge is very, very important. Um, and there was also something, they, the point that you said that this was a, a new thing for the Georgia State campus or who you were working with. And it was really an, an 
a way for you to build out this experience cool mm-hmm. cool like coolly building out of the experience with them and it seemed like it was very fruitful and you did a lot of uh, great work there as well which is dope and then you were a patient patient rep medical operations assistant at Gwinnett Clinic so tell me a little bit about yeah. that yeah um Dr. Deke was my doctor who I worked under um I originally got hired to help with COVID um COVID was at its height and so they, he, they, but Dr. Deep would, were, was bringing on graduate students um, for innovation. Um, Dr. Deep believes that we are the future. Um, and so his big thing was, let me bring you on, let me bring you under, show you what we do and let's have some innovation. Let's get you some experience in one or two years from now, you're going to leave but you have a foundation for it. And so when I was there, um, at first I was doing COVID testing. And at that time, um, they were trying to figure out how to do COVID testing, but still have the patient feel as if they're a patient. So not just pull up, get a test and leave, but if they still had concerns for the doctor, how could they still be seen? What does that look like? And so I worked really closely um, with two of the main clinics that they have, they had, they have about 15 clinics, but two of the busier clinics is where they did testing. And um, I was legit just the person who did COVID. So the patient would come, we did like a little drive up style, not really drive through, but drive up. And um, you would, I would come out, I would let you know what was going to be happening today, get your insurance, get your ID, verify it, have the nurse come out to you. Um, do the testing, but then you are also going to be seen by the doctor. So going back out, making sure um, you know your test results, I give you the paper for the test results, and then getting the doctor to come out to you. Um, and it sounds very simple, but it's not. Like that's the that's the small the small side of it. Um, making sure that the patient's process of being seen was was enjoyable that they felt cared for, that they still felt like they saw a doctor and it was worth their time. Um, But also making sure that operationally, the clinic was able to do that and still see patients in person. Um, And so that's what I did in the beginning. And then I transitioned um, into being a patient rep, which was front, front counter, you come in, but I'm doing insurance verification, I'm making appointments, um, I'm getting to know the patient. So calling, doing reminders, making sure certain patients are taking their medicine, but then also on that operation side, sometimes too, um, making sure that the patient's process of their whole experience with us was enjoyable. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine the, the amount of work that you did. You did make it seem very simple, but yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing that it wasn't the case. And there are a lot more complexities to, to a lot of the work that you would do. And especially when you deal with like patients and that type of work, there's just a lot of things like yeah. 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 Patients are, patients are fine. Yeah. Pe- pe- people be people out here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. And then, um, I think you also got this training uh, as an implicit bias in public health practice at Region 5 Public Health Training Center. And I think you got this before you graduated. So tell me more about the owners for wanting to take this and then maybe like what you got from it. Yeah, um, 
I took that training. Region five was um, trained. They have trainings that we got in graduate school. So um, the implicit bias training that I got, I just wanted to make sure that I was checking my biases. Um, I learned in undergrad. Um, I wish I could remember her name, but I went to a seminar for the one church, Charleston, and she was speaking and she said, if you have a brain, you have a bias and nobody is here to punish you for your bias, but your bias is there for you to check it and for you to be able to be better than your bias. And so I knew coming into public health, um, that I would have to work with anyone and everyone, um, when I was at Aid Atlanta, they made sure I understood the demographic and the population that I would be working with um, because of my background being in religion and church. And so what I wanted to do taking that training was to be able to be an open book to patients that I would be with, speak with, um, give care to, and really make sure that I was checking my bias, whatever that bias looked like. I was checking it at the door before I even said hello to a patient because my my biggest thing was making sure that patient felt safe and secure, even if they were just telling me their name. I needed them to know that this was a no judgment zone. This was a no um, no pressure zone and that I was here to help regardless of what the situation was. So that was the thought process of getting that training, just making sure that I was upholding what public health should look like. Yeah, I, lo I love that, I love that. Um, and I think that's a, a practice that we all have to do and have to like continually do because mm -hmm. as, as you said, everyone has implicit biases and it's just to first, firstly become aware of them and then act in ways that you're not pushing it onto others, which, as you said, you're not going in there judging people, but you're making them have a safe environment, which is truly, truly important in public health working and like getting yeah. people to trust you and share things that that they might want to share, but are important to, for you to assist them and get into their best well-being overall. Okay. And then were there any other takeaways that you had during your time, during your MPH that you wanted to share? Um... I think that's it. I did a lot while we while we going through it. Jeez, I was <laughs> man. Thank you, Lord. I ain't lose my mind. Um, you know, just just what we just talked about. Just having an open mind. If you're going to be in public health, um, I think one of the things that we don't do so well at is having that open mind. Um, we can go out and teach about it. We preach about it, but personally, we don't model it in our own lives. And I think we just have to be better in doing that. So definitely keeping um, a pulse on your bias when you're working with different communities, because public health just isn't for one community, it's for the greater good. So you never know who you're going to be working with, who you're going to be implementing practices to, um, what their age is going to be, sex is going to be, how they identify. So just keeping a pulse on that and making sure that you're being the best that you can be. So your patients, your colleagues, your clients, whoever, um, feel as if it's a comfortable space. Because once it's not, we have failed at our job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think especially in today's climate of everyone being very 
on opposite sides of, of yeah. history is really trying to find that center ground and finding humanity in people who have different beliefs from you and just understanding that having a conversation isn't going to create at that, that for the most part for the most part yes yes <laughs> yes okay. and it doesn't and it doesn't hurt to respect somebody in the way that they want to be respected but I'm gonna leave it at that yes yes let's leave it there okay <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you graduated from your MPH and you were able to get into the public health associates program at the center for disease control and prevention so yeah. tell, tell me about how how did you come across that what was the process for getting in and then what do you do man um if y'all don't take nothing else from this get mentors get you some mentors mentors are the cheat code to life um i had no idea about this fellowship um but I had a very good family friend um, send me fellowships almost weekly. He sent me, Mr. Um, Mr. Kenneth sent me fellowships almost weekly. Um, and so that's how I found out about the fellowship. Um, it is a very long process. The application is in January and you kind of sort of hear something in March and then you hear another thing in May and then you get some information like your official in August and then you start in October. So it was a very long, tedious type um, process, but needless to say, I got in. Um, and so that was really, like I mentioned before, you know, my, my thought process was I was going to be my mom. I was going to be in the federal government. Um, and so my time with that fellowship, what happens is you are a CDC employee. However, you are stationed um, at a local health department, at a nonprofit, at a hospital, just depending on um, what your interests were, where they put you, what state you're in, different things like that. And I was stationed at a local, a local health department. Um, and so while I was there, I was a linkage coordinator and a prep coordinator. If anybody doesn't know what prep is, it's pre-prophylactic. It's for um, prevention of HIV. And so I was a prep coordinator and a linkage coordinator. Um, linkage is if someone um, is newly diagnosed HIV positive, um, we link them to care, whatever care, social, mental, anything of that nature that they need will link them to the resources that they need during that time. Okay, okay, that's awesome. And yeah, CDC work on that process again. People are into this PHAP for all the fellowships because that that is that is uh is crazy. And I feel like a lot of people probably uh by that time, oh my god, I need to do something else. Or like yeah, probably other opportunities <laughs> that are coming up. Yeah. So P PHAP, if someone from the CDC is listening to this, change that process. If you want some guidance, please feel free to reach out to me as well. I'm happy to talk more about that. Okay. But that that in itself, I think, is like a great opportunity. And then I think the also the also also the important thing that you highlighted there was you had someone that was sending you these fellowships, sending these mm -hmm. things because I think a lot of times in public health is we have no idea what a lot of the future positions or the yeah. opportunities look like. Um, so it's really, really helpful when there are those kinds of people in your life that are trying to help you out. And it doesn't even have to be that you're going to get into these fellowships, but I think just seeing it, seeing like what they're asking for helps you form your perspective of yeah. public health and fit into where you can go um, from there. Uh, okay. And then 
you are currently a program coordinator at the Center for Black Health and Equity. So how do you come, how do you come across this role? Yeah. So while I was doing the fellowship, um, like I mentioned, my my master's focus quick, was quick health. question. How how Go long ahead. how long were you in the PIAP fellowship for? Seven months. Okay. Seven months. Um, I mentioned before that I was health management and policy. I leaned towards policy. Um, when you're in the program, when you're in the PHAP program, you get a mentor. My mentor, Mr. Scott, was great. He's been at the CDC for about 30 years, has written almost most of all their policies. He's the founder of the policy like program that's there that people like apply to do. He's awesome. He's great. But within talking to him, we both realized that policy was my thing, but writing policy isn't what I wanted to do. Um, for lack of better words, I want to be the mouthpiece. I want to be the person that stands up and says, this is what we're fighting for. And I'm not backing down. I want to be the face of it. I want to be the mouthpiece of it. And I want to be the one that's bringing the people together to transform this policy. And so once we realized that, it was almost like a light bulb click. Like, hey, this was a great opportunity um, to get my foot into the CDC, to have this experience, to say, you know, at 25 years old, I'm in the CDC. I'm an employee of the CDC but it really made me sit back and think about what I wanted to do. And so um, I do believe you had Olivia on your podcast before. Um, she is the live and um, consultant career coach. Um, that's my girl. So I ended up reaching out to her to do a resume revamp, LinkedIn revamp um, cover letter. And um, we were talking and she, the first thing that she asked me was, how do you want people to perceive you? When you walk through the door, when they see your LinkedIn, what do you want them to know? And my thing was, I want them to know I'm a strong Black woman that's not going to back down for nothing. And so she kind of looked. She said, you sure? I said, yeah. I said, I want to put Angela Davis on my um, on my LinkedIn. That's who I want. So when they come, if you know, you know. If you don't know, then it is what it is. Um, but Olivia really helped me hone into what I wanted to do, what I, what that looked like. and and where I could possibly get a job like that from. So I worked with her um, for about two months and the job popped up, a uh, crazy story. When I saw the job, it was closed for the program coordinator position. It was already closed. Um, the next day, Olivia sent it to me and said, this sounds exactly what you wanna do. Um, would you be interested? And I was like, girl, I seen that yesterday. It's closed. How we gonna, how we gonna do this? So she reached out um, because she got all the connects. So public health, go to live. Hey, she she got all the connects. Um, and she emailed um, somebody that she knew and uh, finally got on the call who is, with who is now my supervisor, Shayla. And I was so nervous to even do the informational interview. It wasn't even a real interview. It was just an informational interview. And um, Shayla was like, I would love to bring you on for an interview. And the rest is the rest is history. Um, I did two different panels and they offered the job to me. Okay, that, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'll, I'll definitely put uh, Olivia Liv's uh, information in, in the description. Yeah, please do that. <laughs> anyone that is interested because you got living proof. I did not prompt that. <laughs> but, but that that's dope. And, and I think that that's important as well to, to take the time to find someone if you if you like mm -hmm. are feeling a little bit stuck 
there are a lot of people, a lot of great people, such as Live Consulting Services, I think I'm saying that correctly, out there that could help you really like reframe yourself and, and think more broadly about what opportunities are out yeah. there, as well as, as you said, the opportunity was closed and she was able to reach out to someone and get you that informational interview. And then you were able to get the interview and land the job, which is awesome. Okay, yeah. so I'm, I know you've been in the job like two, three months now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so still, still very, very new to it. Uh, but tell me, what, what do you do in, in this role? Yeah, so I'm, for, I'm a program coordinator um, and I work under our tobacco grant. Um, and so essentially what I do is technical assistance um, under the tobacco grant if communities um, want to do anything with tobacco, maybe a smoke-free area, maybe um, trying to go into their council meeting or anything like that to get advertisement for tobacco banned or menthol or anything like that, they reach out to us. Um, and so what we do is help coalitions um, get to their decision makers. So we have a five-step process that we teach them um, and then they get in front of their decision makers. They do all the work. We just kind of guide them to do it. And um, they get in front of their decision makers and they present um, their their policy, quote unquote, change that they would like to do. OK, so my first question, which I think is important, and I think I know the answer to this is, did you do any tobacco work before any work in tobacco? No. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, at all. So it has been quite a learning experience to learn tobacco now, but to learn tobacco way back in the day, because when you think about slavery, you think about cotton. But tobacco plays a huge role. Um, the history of tobacco plays a huge role of how and why tobacco is the way it is now, especially within minority communities. So it's definitely been a learning experience um, to learn the history, to learn the policies, to learn the marketing, to just learn all of it. So no, I, I did not have any experience um, and even now I'm still, I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning. I'm still, I'm still a newbie to it though, but I'm learning. I don't know if they ask you specific questions around like tobacco cessation in the interview process or anything like mm -hmm. that, but how, how were you able to put yourself ahead of all the other candidates for this job in, in your perspective mm, <laughs> to, to yeah. really get, get this job? Yeah. So I think really it was those transferable skills. Um, I remember one of the questions was, have you ever done policy? And I have never actually done policy, right? I've never written it. I've been a part of processes in the beginning stages of it. So really being able to show my transferable skills and like, um, working at Gwinnett Clinic when I was an operational, um, representative, one of the things that we were having struggles with was our older community didn't use electronics. So we were transferring everything for COVID onto the computer, doing appointments over the computer and things of that um, nature. But then once our older population, um, you know, saw the app for us and was like, oh, I don't know how to use the app. One of the, one of the policies that we did was um, like 70% of anything that we had online 
had to be still in writing so we could give to our older population. And I don't think people get that the smallest things can be policy. So being able to, to show I did that was a part of that and transfer it over to, you know, I ain't really did policy in a traditional writing since, but the thought process of how to implement it, I've been a part of, um, was one of the key, probably one of the key factors that I was able to sell myself. The other part was um, showing them that I was a people's person. Every job that I've had, I've been the face of the company. Whether it was the Wounded Warrior Transition Battalion, I was representing the battalion. Whether it was Enterprise, I was representing Enterprise in my branch with corporate um, customers. Or whether it was, um, um, you know, being just a student of, of uh, Georgia State and being in the MPH program. When people heard I was in public health, okay, I'm the face that you know that you associated with. So being able to go, you know, hey, I'm good at relationships. I value my expertise in building and maintaining relationships. And, you know, we work with all different types of coalitions across the country. Um, we work with people across the country. So making sure they, they knew that I was a people person. I am there to not only add value to the people that we work with, but that it's a joint effort. I'm not, I'm the expert, but I'm not too high to say, hey, I need help hey, I'm building this relationship. Hey, as, as I bring something to the table, you're also bringing something to the table that I can learn from. So just showing that relationship building and those skills that I have in relationship building and maintaining relationships was, I think, another aspect that I was able to get the job. Awesome, awesome. I'm, I'm glad you shared that. I think that that is going to be very helpful, especially for a lot of people who are now entering the workforce or maybe like, in their young professional years, just knowing that, you know, you don't, you don't have to know everything about the job. You don't have to know everything about the topic area, but just showing how you have those transferable skills yeah. and how, how you can be an asset to, to the new organization. Um, and I know you've been there for a very short period of time. I look forward to following and to continue to see how, how that goes <laughs> and, how, and where you end up uh, with all of that. And just to be clear, you, you all do work like nationally across the USA. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That, that was awesome as well. Something I did not know. I got to do a little more research. Um, into, yeah. Into yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. So before I move you on to the furious five, five questions I ask all guests, I would like to ask you, where would you like to see yourself in the future? Man, I do know long-term, um, I do want to run for Senator. Um, that is ultimately why I got into public health, run for Senator on a universal health care bill. Um, for Georgia. Georgia's my home. So why learn all this great stuff and not bring it back home? So long term, um, maybe like five, short term, five years, um, really just growing within the company that I'm with now. Um, the center, what we call the center is growing uh, just overall, not even just in tobacco, but in women's health and HIV and COVID and cancer. Um, and so really growing um, with the company. I love the company. It, it, it's great. Like it just embodies everything that I want to, that I want to be within public health. And so really just short-term growing within the company and growing in expertise um, and growing and honing in my skills to be better within public health. 
Awesome, awesome. Well, I look forward to that. Look forward to seeing Senator Assyria out there getting us universal <laughs> health care starting in Georgia and then across the entire USA because it's definitely, definitely still very much needed. And uh, yeah, we need people like yourself up there advocating for this because whatever's happening right now is not is not uh it's not it it's not it it's not it is not so so definitely appreciate you sharing that uh and i look forward to your continual growth in in the center and uh yeah 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 happy i'm very very looking forward to staying connected and and everything like that okay so moving on to the furious five five questions ask all guests number one what advice would you give to a student trying to pursue a career in public health don't beat yourself up Public health, I think I said it already, but public health is a is a huge umbrella. Just get experience. Get experience in all types of arenas of public health. I have experience in HIV and AIDS. I have experience in wounded warriors. I now have experience in tobacco. Um, unless you know that you want to have a niche, get experience in everything because you don't know how it's going to all correlate together. So don't beat yourself up if you don't have the perfect plan like your like your friends do. Um, public health is too big to just come out of school and go, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. It's too much for you to impact, too much for you to, oh, I'm curious about this. Let me go try it. Um, so don't beat yourself up because public health is literally every aspect of life. And it's too big for you to just put into a little box to have this one plan for it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think like one thing from this podcast, like all the podcasts, the episodes that I've had is like, there's like no one way and no path. And no one ever really knows what they exactly want to do in public health. So just keep on trotting forward and you will find you. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Number two, if you're talking to someone wanting to get into your position, what advice would you give them? Oh, man. Um, I would say hone in on your relationship building skills um, and hone in on what transferable skills that you can bring to the table. Um, Being a program coordinator, your hand is in a lot. Um, I've been there for uh, just a month, a month and a half, but um, my coworker who is a program coordinator as well. She's had her hand in a lot, administrative, policy, um, just every aspect. So definitely hone in with the relationship part because we are people-centered, but also hone in to those transferable skills because you're not gonna have exactly what they're looking for. Um, But if you can translate it and say, hey, I've done this, but I'm willing to learn this to make it complete, um, that'll get you that'll get your foot in the door. And that's all you need is a foot in the door. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great advice. Okay. Number three, what's something you are working on improving in your life right now? Oh man. Um, Accepting that I belong there. Yeah. Um, I think I have some imposter syndrome, even when I was at the CDC, Um, But just accepting that I belong there um, because I don't have the tobacco background, I, it gets overwhelming. So it's like, am I really supposed to be here that they really like, they really knew I didn't have no tobacco background and they really put me in this position. Um, But I'm here for a reason. Although I don't have the tobacco background, 
I'm good at the aspects that I bring to the table um, and not to be cocky or, or sound arrogant, but I'm good at what I do and I'm a good learner as well. So um, I'm working on being here, bringing what I do to the table and, and making sure that I remind myself that I belong here. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's hugely, hugely important. And I can, I can only imagine the amount of imposter syndrome. Um, that I feel like we all, we all deal with it in some way or some aspect and yeah. getting through that and shit, knowing that like we do belong to be where we are um, is, is hard and tough sometimes. So I appreciate you sharing that. And you will definitely get through that. And because you, did, you do deserve to be there and you're going to do some amazing stuff as well. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, number four, professionally, do you recommend anything? Um, get you a career coach. I know, I know, you know, you can have the plan for your life. I know that, you know, nobody knows better than you what you want, but you need guidance. Um, I wish I would have reached out to Olivia 2021. You know, then I, I would have been able to walk in my purpose just a little bit earlier. Um, and not saying that the CDC wasn't a great experience, but if I would have spoke to a career coach or to a mentor really about my career goals and how I wanted to be perceived in public health, the CDC would have never been on my list ever. Um, and that's just the way it would have played out. So definitely reach out to a mentor, reach out to a career coach um, that can kind of help you gather your thoughts and really think about what and how you want to do public health. Because I think so much we see, oh, the CDC or, oh, they're at a, for health management, they're at a hospital and they're, you know, an executive on the board. And that's what I have to do. Um, because that's what other people have done. And that's, there's a clear path with that. Um, but you don't have to, you have to be able to know why you got into public health and to use your why to get to your, to your how and your what. So get a, get a career coach, get a mentor that can help you do that. Because I think public health is great, but I, I think it's awesome, magnificent, wonderful when you are in public health and you're doing what you have set out to do and it fits who you are not you trying to fit into public health but public health fits into you absolutely, absolutely. Love, love that as well and then number five last but not least where can people connect with you okay so y'all <laughs> so y'all can connect with me um on instagram and it's at underscore underscore a dot ray so ray is r-a-e um, and then my LinkedIn is Assyria Daniels. Um, so A-S-Y-R-I-A, um, D-A-N-I-E-L-S. And then both profile pictures have me with my red locks. This is on purpose. Um, so you know it's me. So yeah, you can connect with me on Instagram and LinkedIn. Awesome, awesome. I'll be sure to, to link that in the description and in the show notes for anyone that is interested. Uh, but I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and I look forward to following along your career because I think you're going to do amazing things. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to just come on and 
speak to you <laughs> to give my background and my story um, and just be able to have this conversation, have this dialogue because it's definitely, your show is definitely helping the young, the old, the new to public health, the years in, like it's definitely doing the work that you set out to do. So I'm greatly appreciative to be a part of the journey and the process. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you being part of the platform and sharing your story and insights. Right. Thank you. You're most welcome. So, so housekeeping items, everyone. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this. Be sure to subscribe if you have not as yet. Leave a five-star review, leave a like, and share it with a friend. If you'd like to join the Discord community that I've created, you can go to the phmillennial.com forward slash join and join the Discord. It's called Community Wellness community health and wellness and really focus on not only like professional development but that wellness component of taking care of yourself so that you can give the most of the community uh so peace